you. Thank you so much. As Bo said, uh, we just returned from the EPC's General Assembly, our annual meeting of pastors and ruling elders all over the country and outside of the country, uh, as we have a number of missionaries serving worldwide, and some of them were able to be here. Uh, others were commissioned as uh, missionaries going to their place of service. And how many of you remember, again, our church has changed through the years, but how many of you remember Rufus Smith? Rufus preached here for our missions conference a number of years ago. Rufus is the head pastor of Hope Church in Cordova, Tennessee, and that is our largest church in the EPC. And so we met in this tremendously large room, and there weren't that many of us. We didn't fill up the room, so uh, a little bit hard to hear on what I'm going to play for you in just a moment. But one of the highlights of the week was to hear uh, from Andrew Brunson's daughter. Uh, we've been praying for Andrew Brunson for 20 months as he's been incarcerated in Turkey on false charges, um, basically for being a Christian. And uh, we are praying for his uh, soon and unconditional release. Our, our government is very well aware of who Andrew is and is fighting for his freedom. Uh, Andrew is now a global figure, as everyone in the world knows who Andrew Brunson is, as he is a, being imprisoned for his faith in Jesus Christ uh, in Turkey. And his daughter uh, loves Turkey. And that's what I want you to pray for today as you think about Turkey and think about Andrew Brunson today. And it's really a lot later in the day in Turkey than it is here. Uh, the election is today. Uh, our prayer is that President Erdogan is defeated uh, because he is a dictator and he wants things to go his way. And, and as long as he is reelected, um, it could be a long time before Andrew is released because he is using Andrew as a political pawn uh, in uh, his work. So, uh, again, Andrew is doing well, according to his daughter. His daughter is 22 or 3 years old. She grew up in Turkey because Andrew has been a missionary there for 25 years. And so she got married last year and was not able to have her father walk her down the aisle because he was in prison. And uh, she was a very articulate young lady and spoke for about 15 minutes to uh, the assembly letting us know that the early days of Andrew's incarceration were very difficult days, and he was low. Um, he is not right now. She said that he has uh, written a hymn um, worthy of my all, and that he sings that every day. And uh, the Hope Band and worship team led us in the singing of Hope, of Worthy is My All, and it was, it was beautiful. And uh, so Michael's learning it, and uh, we're going to be singing it soon. Um, I want you to hear just the last 50 seconds of, um, of Jacqueline's message to us. And I'm not sure you can hear it because I recorded it on my phone from where I was sitting. But at least so you can hear her voice. And so uh, I'm going to play it through this, Gray, if that's all right. When my dad and I were speaking, he wanted to send a special message to the EPC Church. He is so grateful for all of the prayer and all of the support that he has provided. So I want to close by sharing his direct message to you. My brothers and sisters of the EPC, I am so grateful to you for standing with us during this difficult time, for praying for us. I know a number of people have fasted, and I thank you for doing this. A 
It's a great blessing to us to be a part of the EPC family. I pray every day to be faithful to the end. And it is my desire to be a great work of Jesus Christ by being willing to suffer for him. And I ask that you pray for me with this, that I will be faithful to the end. I hope that next year I will be able to thank all of you in person rather than through my beautiful daughter. But again, thank you for standing with us. Your brother, Andrew. He uh, said, if you could not understand it, that he asked you to pray for his faithfulness to the Lord to the end. And he said, I hope to be able to stand before you next year and see you in person. And that is our prayer, is that at the next year's General Assembly, Andrew Brunson will be released, be home with his family. Uh, His pastor from North Carolina was there with Jacqueline on the stage and That's what he asked that we pray for, that Andrew be released soon. His next trial date is coming up um, July the 16th. And uh, so we pray that that heaven and earth might be moved by the prayers of God's people uh, to pray for Andrew's release. And uh, pray for his family, his wife Noreen, and uh, his children. uh, And ask that the Lord keep them in, in peace as they wait upon the Lord. Today is part four in the series, The Book of Jonah. And so if you take a Bible and turn to Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is where we'll read. My sources include John Calvin's commentaries on Jonah, a message by Bill Lawrence entitled Pursuing Grace, the writings and studies of Bob Deffenbaugh on Jonah, the prodigal prophet, Gordon Ketty's book, The Message of Jonah from the Wellwind Commentary Series, and Richard Phillips' book on Jonah, Uh, from the Reformed Expository Commentary. Please stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word as we start in Jonah chapter 2. If you've not been here in the beginning of this series, Jonah is a prophet of God, prophet in the land of Israel. God has called him to go to a foreign land, to the Ninevites, the Assyrians, and to preach the, the good news to them. He refused because he hates them, and he goes the other direction and runs away from the Lord. The Lord cannot be run away from. And so as a result, uh, the Lord sends a storm on the ship where he is riding as a passenger. And they finally say they have no other alternative but to throw him overboard. And he is swallowed by a fish that the Lord prepared uh, specially for Jonah. And that's where we find it now. In uh, Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, hear the word of God. From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. 
What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this, your word. Help us to understand not only this message, but Jonah and ourselves. In Christ's name I ask it. Amen. Please be seated. The book Deep Down Dark, Deep Down Dark, is by Hector Tobar and tells the story of the 33 Chilean miners who were buried 2,000 feet underground for over three months back in 2010. They were trapped in a very large space, including a room that they called the refuge. They had no idea if anyone would come for them. Can you imagine? It was August the 5th, and there was a Christian man among them named Don Jose Enriquez. He turned to a fellow miner named Mario, and he whispered, God is the only way out of here. Before the miners, Mario announced on Don Jose's part, Don Jose, we know you are a Christian man and we need you to lead us in prayer. Will you? And so Hector Tobar, in writing this book, explains what happened next. He says, from the moment, from the moment forward, Enriquez became the pastor for these miners. They called him the pastor from this point forward. Because as soon as he opened his mouth, it was very clear that he knows how to speak of God and to God. He says that Enriquez drops to his knees and tells the men that they should also drop to their knees. He says, because when you pray, you have to humble yourself before your creator. And he prayed these words. We aren't the best men, but Lord, have pity on us. It's a simple statement, but it strikes several of the men very hard. No somos los mejores hombres. We aren't the best men. Victor Segovia knows that he drinks too much. Victor Zamora is too quick to lose his temper. Pedro Cortez thinks about the poor father he has been to his young daughter. He left the girl's mother and hasn't even done even the basic fatherly thing of visiting his little girl even though he knows that his absence is inflicting a lasting hurt upon her. Enriquez continues, Jesus Christ, our Lord, let us enter the sacred throne of your grace. And then he prays, Consider this moment of difficulty of ours. We are sinners and we need you. And just about everyone who is at the entrance to the refuge or inside is on his knees. And Enriquez is a man of God, and suddenly here in this tomb, the religious severity that many of them found, and this is important, I think, the religious severity that many of them found annoying during their everyday encounters in the A-shift is now exactly what they need. How many of the people that you work around are probably annoyed with your Christian life that you live out before them. And so Enriquez says, we want you to make us stronger and help us in this hour of our need. 
Lord, there's nothing we can humanly do without your help. We need you to take charge of this situation. Please, Lord, take charge of this. And if you know the story, they were trapped underground for 33 days. 33 days. All 33 miners rescued. So again, to God be the glory. It's an incredible story. Um, the first part of this series, we talked about Jonah. And, and Jonah was not someone that we, we looked at with much honor. But we recognize that Jonah, who lived shortly after the ministry of Elijah and Elisha, that Elijah announced one day that there was a famine on the land of Israel and then he went and lived in the Gentile regions. And so I want to read to you from 1 Kings chapter 17 and starting at verse 7. It says, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So Israel had no food. So Israel's prophet was fed by the hand of a pagan, which could suggest that God's call to Jonah was also a call to unbelieving, stiff-necked Israel. That is, if Israel hardened its heart, then God would find believers among other people groups, other nations, who would receive his prophets. But Jonah could not handle that thought. I mean, you might relate to this, his presuppositional bias just had no room for the fact that there might be other people that God loved besides Israel. So the only way that God saw he could get Jonah's attention was by sending him, sending him to a people group that he did not care for. And then sending him not one crisis, which was the storm to wake him up, but a second crisis, which was the, the fish, the unique fish. And so... That leads us to several lessons this morning. And let's look at these. First of all, lots of people pray when they face a crisis. Lots of people pray when they face a crisis. And even though Jonah seemed to, to relish the idea of ending his life when he told those men on the ship, throw me overboard. He, he's like a lot of people who talk a good talk. Okay? But once he found himself in the middle of the ocean, he knew that drowning was more of a possibility than he thought. So do you think that Jonah prayed while he was struggling on top of the water? <laughs> I think that's pretty easy, isn't it? Of course he did. It says in verse 2, In my distress, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. And then it says, From the deep, in the realm of the dead, I called for help. So we know that he not only was on top of the water, he went down into the bottoms of the ocean. I believe that Jonah's first prayer was when he was drowning. And we even have an indication of that in, in verse 7. If you look at verse 7, it says, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. So imagine him fighting for his life in the ocean, then going under the water, and he's knowing he's drowning. And he knows his life is ebbing away. And he says, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And the Lord heard his prayer. So that was his first prayer, which is a reminder for us that some of us won't pray until, until something really desperately bad happens to us. So that God puts us in a place that's so tight 
that going to him in prayer is just about the only option that we have. And that is where Jonah prayed his next prayer. Inside this great fish that swallowed him. It says in verse 1 of our text, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. So, why do you think Jonah prayed once he was inside the fish? Because finally he recognized, I I think I'm going to live. You know, there are some commentators that think that possibly Jonah died for a time, maybe clinically dead inside the fish, and then was aroused somehow. We We don't really know. It's speculation. But at this point, he has nowhere else to turn. And if we're honest this morning... Many of us will admit that we rarely pray because we have so many distractions, so many screens to look at, so many noises that help us to avoid having to go face to face with something that's truly going on in our lives. Jonah prayed because God brought him to a place of dependency upon him and he had nowhere else to turn, a place of desperation inside this fish in the heart of the sea. It's only when Jonah hits absolute rock bottom that that good things start to happen in his life. Now, I want you to try, if you can, to put yourself into Jonah's sandals. Can you imagine the thoughts? Can you imagine the emotional intensity of those moments when they throw you overboard and then you're swimming, you're trying to swim, and then you, you finally just can't fight it anymore and then you start to sink. And then as Jonah begins to grasp what is actually happening to him as this large fish appears and swallows him. And what I want to ask Jonah one day in heaven is, what was it like to get swallowed by a fish? Did you see it coming? Were you all of a sudden enveloped by dark surroundings? Did you feel panic? Did you feel relief once it dawned on you where you were? I mean, in anybody's mind, you couldn't imagine being swallowed by a fish and living to tell about it. So think about what it would be like for Jonah when everything went black and all of a sudden he was moving. But how? (laughs) He had no clue. It's been described by others as being almost like a birth-like experience of passing from the fish's mouth into his stomach. And what I mean by that is if you can... Picture passing through the fish's throat, I would guess that it would have been a very small opening to go through the throat so that you're kind of tightly squeezed and pushed through and any air from your lungs is gone because you're being tightly squeezed in that process of moving from the throat into the stomach. Scary stuff, to say the least. And as Jonah regained consciousness, imagine the horror of the first realization of your location, the lining of its stomach all around you, the irritation of the acidic stomach juices which would bleach your skin, the foul smell of the place. This is not where you want to be. As the normal diet of the fish is being digested in your presence, The outright darkness of the situation because he didn't have a light to turn on. He didn't have a match to strike. It was pitch black, like a dead end. Edward Manjuk's uh, job is a commercial driving instructor, and it's basically to ensure that foreign-born students who are not all that familiar with English can read and understand the different road signs. 
You ever thought about this? You know, we understand them because maybe you speak English. But have you ever thought about somebody not speaking English, trying to understand road signs? So Manjuk says when he came to a sign that read dead end, he asked the student driver to explain to him what it meant. And this student says, you go way down, come to end of street. And Manjuk was about to compliment him. And then he says, at end of street is cemetery. So about this time, it occurred to Jonah that this fish had swallowed him would not lead to a dead end, but to his salvation. His prayer for deliverance had been heard by God, and he was actually going to live. There is a point, there is a point when you recognize you've been delivered from a great crisis. And there is an opportunity in that moment to turn in gratitude to God Or to turn the other way and kind of say, wow, I sure got out of that one. Glad that worked out. In other words, to give glory to yourself that it all worked out. Or to chance that it all worked out. Lots of people pray when they face a crisis. Second lesson, lots of people pray without ever changing their attitude. I have quite a few problems with Jonah and his attitude. He's been called by God to go somewhere and he's refused. And being swallowed by a fish, according to many, has changed Jonah. I'm really not convinced. I have studied a great many people concerning Jonah. I have read numerous commentaries on the subject of Jonah. I have heard lots of sermons about Jonah. But as I read the book of Jonah, even his prayer... After most would call a a life-altering experience, I do not find his attitude changing as much as it should. Look at verse 3 with me. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And then if you skip on down to verse 5. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. (laughs) You know, this seems very self-centered to me. Uh, Jonah's simply acknowledging that in the sovereignty of God, he was hurled into the depths of the sea. In no way does he ever admit to anything of his own doing with the problems that he was facing. And, And I want you to know until a person comes to grips with and takes responsibility for their part in the difficulties of their life, there won't be any change in that person. Listen to verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And actually another translation says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Now on the surface, this sounds very good. It's spiritual sounding. It's pious. By the way, I don't know about you, I really can't stand pious people. Pious people. Um, self-righteous people. Self-righteous people kind of drain the atmosphere out of the room, in my opinion. I'd almost rather be around pagans sometimes than be around self-righteous people who credit themselves with their spirituality. And I think what Jonah was saying is, I'm not like those sailors. Those sailors who cling to worthless idols. I'm better than they are. I'm better than they are. My problem with Jonah is that in spite of what he's saying, every indication is that the sailors were more righteous than Jonah. 
more conscientious, more considerate than he was. In addition, this psalm is not like some of the psalms that you read. The psalm of Moses, the psalm of Mary. It doesn't seem at all like theirs. Sure, I mean, sure, he was grateful to not die. But his attitude does not seem to have changed. His attitude towards lost people has not changed really one bit. He was thankful for his own salvation, but as far as anyone else's salvation, he couldn't care less. And let me just read to you Isaiah 6. We, we sang today as an opening hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. And the inspiration of Holy, Holy, Holy is Isaiah chapter 6. And if you want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6, I think this will give you an idea of what I'm talking about. Isaiah 6 begins, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. These are angels. Uh, with two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I cried, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That's a response to coming into the presence of the Holy God that we serve. I don't see that kind of response from Jonah. I see a man who is grateful to be alive, but still doesn't have a heart for the lost and for the nations. Bob Deffenbaugh, one of my sources, says, Jonah had a lot to confess and repent of, but he has confessed and repented of nothing in this song. And I agree with him. Jonah's attitude is a lot like many of the Old Testament Jews who are grateful for their election as God's people, as an Israelite, while failing to see that their status as God's people is completely due to the grace of God and not their own doing. And that brings us to the last lesson, which is few Christians truly embrace the grace of our God. Jonah rested and relied on his election as an Israelite, all the while failing to see that his relationship to God was all in terms of grace. And what is grace? Undeserved kindness. Undeserved kindness. Jonah saw himself in terms of his own personal sense of worth based on his race and maybe even based on his calling as a prophet. And in that way, Jonah is a lot like us. He tended not to see himself as sinful, but those other guys, those sailors, as the sinful ones. Now, I will give you this. Eventually in this psalm, inside the belly of a whale, Jonah does describe not only his danger, but also his deliverance. For example, in verse 9, I sing a song of of thanksgiving with, with sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And today, you and I, we tend to presume upon God's grace. And even if we're not careful, using the grace of God as an excuse for our disobedience. Jonah did not see himself as sinful, especially not as sinful as the heathens he has just encountered or the heathens that God has called him to encounter in Nineveh. And so, Jonah, in verse 9, does he make a confession of faith? I don't think so. 
When he says salvation comes from the Lord, I would say he's basically acknowledging that God delivered him from drowning and even from the belly of the great fish in his choice of the word salvation. And when he says, what I have vowed, I will make good. I mean, does that sound like his whole heart is committed to the path that God has chosen for him? It doesn't to me. And I just don't think so. And here's a pertinent question. Why does God deliver Jonah from death by the great fish if Jonah's attitude toward God still remains the same? It's called grace. Getting what you don't deserve. It would seem that Jonah has been brought back from one place to another place. Yes, hopefully to an earlier level of commitment. But the sad truth about Jonah and about us is that few of us get God's heart for the nations. Now, I know I'm going over a little bit, but uh, please bear with me as we look just at another passage from Genesis chapter 12. The first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. And look at verse, verses 1 through 3. This is about Abraham. Abraham, the father of our faith. An Israelite, because God began a work in him. It was before, again, we're talking about a lot of things here, but Abraham is the father of, of the nations of Israel. And we are the Israelites through faith in Jesus Christ. So listen to Genesis 12:1. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And then he gives them a promise, a blessing, and then something else. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And this, here's the big part. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth. God wants us to know that Christianity is not just for us and for ours. Christianity is also for them and for theirs. For those who even seem to oppose us or maybe even seem to frighten us. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So we cannot spend our faith on ourselves. We must give our faith away, even to those who are completely different from us. So when was the last time you invited someone to come to church with you? And if you did, when was the last time you invited someone to come to church with you who is different than you? That's a little bit of what Love Out Loud is about. Love Out Loud is an opportunity for this church to spend time with people in this community who need us. To go outside of these walls and share the good news, the love of Christ with those that we do not know. Maybe even those right around our neighborhood. Jonah had a change of heart about communicating with God, but he didn't have a change of heart toward the people that God loves. And we're going to learn that next time as we see Jonah walking through the streets preaching, but not sharing a lot of love. In the depths of the sea, yes, God brought Jonah to himself. But the story of Jonah teaches us that God brings tough times into our lives, not only to bring us back to him, but to bring us back to ourselves to get us to see the world the way He sees the world. And our verse of the week is Revelation 3, 16. But I want to read to you verse 15 before we read verse 16. And before we read that, 
I want to say to you that verse 10 of our text is it has a strong word, a word that you wouldn't expect to see in Scripture. What is that word? Vomit. (laughs) Vomit. Okay. in verse 10, God commanded the fish to vomit Jonah onto dry ground. It's a very graphic term. The same term, though, that Jesus uses in Revelation chapter three, where he comes to this church and says, I know your deeds. I know that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. And then you help me complete it. Okay, let's read verse 16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's the same word, same word that is used when Jonah is vomited out of the fish. And Jesus says one last thing to these Laodiceans that he says to us today. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, you would have us to be hot or cold, meaning you would have us to be for you or against you. Not lukewarm, not somewhere in the middle, not somewhere on the fence. You want us to be completely committed to you, Lord, or just completely go the other direction. And Lord, I know that you love the people in this place and you want everyone in this place who names the name of Jesus Christ to be completely committed to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us through Jonah your heart for the nations. Father, thank you that this is a church that cares about the lost and cares about people to the point that we support missionaries all over the world. But, Father, we know it's been said by many. The greatest mission field is right where we live. And so, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes and hearts today to see that and to know that. And, Lord, to ask your forgiveness that we've ignored the needs right around us when there are people that are dying without Christ right here in this community. Lord, convict us of our sinfulness, our selfishness, and give us grace this week to open our eyes to see the people that you put in our lives, in our, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, and to care for them. To care for them to the point that we reach out to them with the love of Jesus Christ. Forgive us, Father. Forgive me, Father, for my selfishness. And caring only about myself and those around me. Give me grace to see the white fields that are harvested right in front of me and right in front of us. And may this church be used of you, Lord, to share the good news of the gospel, the love of Christ, with those who are apart from you and do not know you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.